want to greet those who are listening to this by podcast or those who are watching on LiveGate Outreach TV, our YouTube channel. I want to say God bless you. God continue to increase you all in Jesus' name. We have been on a series since the beginning of the month of July on the creative power of God. The creative power of God. And uh, this is an eight-part series which the Lord laid on my heart to pick thematically from the book of John from chapters one, from chapter one right through to chapter 21 to learn of these different expressions of the power of God. And I want to say that God has been faithful as we started five weeks ago now, this is the fifth session, on the transformational power of God the multiplication of power of God, the illuminating power of God. And last week, Pastor Moses dealt very efficiently on the protective power of God. And uh, that message was such a blessing. I listened to it whilst I was away. Uh, it was being recorded. Sorry, I listened to it as soon as I got back. It was delivered whilst we were away. But as soon as I got back, it was the first thing I listened to. And I find that in a very, very deep way, it links everything that starts the first few sessions with the rest. As the emphasis on the name of Jesus is key. And we must all understand that it is important that we understand what God has provided for us so that we can truly enjoy them all. And so as today we're looking at the enabling power of God, which is the fifth, as I said. And um, this today means that we are On the next three chapters, chapters 13, chapter 14, and chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. The first four sessions have helped us to cover the first 12 chapters. And as I have always said, this by no means defines all that you can learn from those books and from this book, from those chapters and from this book of the Holy Scriptures. But we are making this emphasis for the sake of what God wants us to take on line upon line at this point in time. So when we talk about the enabling power of God, we're talking about that power of God that helps us basically to achieve and to attain. That power of God that helps us to conform to the image of God. The Bible says that we in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8, the Bible talks about God being able to make all grace abound towards us. That God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having, a, having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Say with me, God is able. Say God is able. And so I am able. Say and so I am able. Listen friends. The ability that you and I have is because we are connected to the God that has the ability in the first instance. It's like when I take some money and I give it to my children and I say, go and do this. Now, I have transferred a bit of monetary power into their hands to go and do what I've called them to do. Now, if I say, go and go to the supermarket and buy groceries and I did not give them the money to do it, then what I have simply done is I have given a command without giving the ability for the child to be able to do that which I have commanded them to do. 
But when I say go and buy it, and at the same time, I put money in their hands or put a card in their hand, and I say go and use it to buy it. That means I command them to do, and at the same time, I have given them the empowerment to do. The Bible says God is able first. He has the ability. He has the money. If we use money now, he has the resources. But he doesn't keep him to himself. He makes it available to you by grace. He makes it abound towards you. He makes you have access to it. So that with it you will have all sufficiency in everything. And then you will have the resources, the abundance to do the good work. Believers who do not understand this will live a life of high today, low tomorrow, happy today, unhappy tomorrow, and a life of frustration which God has not ordained. You must understand that your ability to keep the pace, the ability to keep the command of what God has commanded is in your relying on his own ability consistently and continually. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God that works in you, in you both, to will and to do for his good pleasure. I have used this scripture many times to explain that the two parts of this scripture are key. One, it is willing. One is willing. One is about doing. One is about willing. One is about doing. So anytime God commands something, before you even try to will it, go to him and draw the grace to will. The reason why we find it very difficult to will many times is because we think that his, his ability is only restricted to the doing. So we can't even will in the first instance. And if you don't will to do, how will you do ultimately? So you must rely on God for the ability to will. He said both to will and to do. So anything God says you should do, you must learn how to will. How to go to him to say, Lord, help me to will. Help me to do your will. Help me to obey your will. Help me to obey that which you are asking me to do. Many people have refused the call to ministry because they do not understand this principle. God calls you. And when I say call to ministry, I'm not saying go have a pulpit ministry like this alone. It could be a ministry to the orphans. It could be a ministry that has to do with taking care of the homeless around you. It could be a ministry that has to do with taking care of the welfare of the saints in the same church that you belong. It could be any ministry. And so when people are called, they act like Gideon. They say, I am not qualified. I am least of the least. And this and that. Forgetting that the one who calls you is the one that will help you to will. So the moment he calls, the moment he says, this is what I, ought, I want you to do for me, you must say, Lord, help me to obey. Help me to yield, first and foremost. And then when he helps you to obey and you take the decision, you now also rely on him for the enablement to do for his good pleasure. Many of us say, in his presence is the fullness of joy, his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We don't understand that those pleasures are enjoyed as we will and do, will and do, will and do. When you will, you do, you get the pleasure. When you will, you do, you get the pleasure. This is what puts you in a place where you are constantly enjoying the manifold blessings of God because God is at work in you. May God continue to be at work in you. In the name of Jesus. So our study of John chapter 13 to, verse, to chapter 15 in this week will help us to look at some ways in which God's power enables us to do the things that he has commanded us to do and also how he en enables us to enjoy his creative power. 
The first way we will read in John chapter 13 is that he enables us to access our part in Christ. God enables us to access our part in Christ. And some of you will say, but pastor, I, I, I have my part in Christ. But you need to understand this principle. Jesus laid a principle in John chapter 13. The Bible says it was about the Passover time. And the time came, he took off his garment. The 12 disciples were around him. He took off his garment and guarded himself with the towel. And then one by one, he began to wash their feet. And they were all shocked. This is the master. What's he doing? And you know Peter, trust Peter, said, you can't wash my feet. You are my master, basically. And Jesus said to him, look at what he said in John chapter 3, John chapter 13, verse 8. When Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him and said what? If I do not wash you, you have what? No part with me. Look at this. When he met him in Luke 5, he said, follow me and I will make you the fishers of men. And they began to follow. So technically, they were already a part of him. But now he was saying to them that, listen, there is a symbolic gesture I am putting forth here that you will learn and generations to come must learn. That there is a place where I must wash your feet. I must wash your feet. Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that he made himself of no reputation. And he humbled himself and became in the form, in, came in the form of a bond servant. We read that some time back, just a few months ago. He said he came in the form of a bond servant and he humbled himself to death, even the death on the cross. So he said what he gives to us on the cross is the action of humility, of washing our feet. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And why does he wash our feet? The Bible makes us to understand. We don't have time to go through all these scriptures, but I want you to note them. In, John, in Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, the Bible says that God said to man and to the devil. God said to man, he said, he said to the devil, he said, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul was talking about the weapons of our warfare, and he said we should put on the whole armor of God, he said we should shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So Jesus counts and regards our feet, which is a symbol of our connection to the gospel, a symbol of our connection to the good news, a symbol of our connection to our life assignments. When Moses was in front of the burning bush, the first thing that God said to him, he said, he said, take off the sandals of your feet. He said, for where you are standing is holy ground. So I need your feet, bare feet, connected to my holiness that are prepared for that place because you are about to go on an assignment that you need my enablement and my power, both to will and to do. You and I must understand that whilst the physical feet, the Bible says, blessed are the feet. We can go on. I can give you so many scriptures that signify the importance of the feet. While the Bible talks about the blessedness of the feet of those that bring good news, we must understand that in the spirit, it is simply talking about how we take our part in Christ by accepting the death that he humbly gave to us on the cross of Calvary. So with this new status, we are able to love. What is this new status? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, and all things have passed away, and all things have become new. So we are able to love one another and be true disciples. If you go down in John chapter 13, go down to verse 34. When we are in Christ, we are able to love. 
Many people struggle with love because they are not rightfully taking their part in Christ. The more Christ-like you become, the easier it is for you to love. This one that you are loving because somebody loved you and you don't love because they don't love you, it's not love. <laughs> love has no regard for what the other person is doing. Love simply loves, regardless of the other person's response or lack of it. That is the Christ-like love. Why should Christ love and wash the feet of Judas? Why should he? Why should he wash the feet of Thomas who doubted him almost every day of their life while they were together? But because he knows that these are mortal beings that are in the bodily form and subject to passions like mere men, he continues to love and he said, I am now giving you, as you take your part in me, I am now giving you one new commandment. Somebody say, new commandment. He said, I'm now giving you a new commandment that you do what? Love one another as what? I have loved you that you also love one another. As I've shown you love by coming to you in humility, washing your feet. I want you to also do what? Love one another. Be humble. Serve one another. See everybody else as those that you must be washing their feet. Not them washing your feet. Jesus did not stay after that and, and say, now all of you, come together. Now, these are my two feet. Start washing. <laughs> that is what our generational leaders would do. They say, here we are. We'll sit on a big throne. Say, all of you, start washing my feet. No, he took, the, he took off his robe first, the sign of his royalty. Remember that same robe was fought for by Roman soldiers. And if you want to know anything about Romans, Romans like good things. They know good things. Till today. Till today, they, they like good things and they, they, they embrace good things. So, fighting for his garment was not just one of those things. Not just because it was fulfilling prophecy, but because it was a very costly garment. The Bible says it had no seam, specially made. The Bible says he took it off to show that this is not about the time of wearing my honor and dignity. This is not about the time. Love is not about me having to put on some kind of dignity and a cloak of my self-righteousness. This is about the time of laying it all aside. Humbling myself and saying, you know what? I serve you. I love you. I serve you. I pray that that grace will come upon us so that we can love like he loved. In the name of Jesus. So when we say that he enables us to take our part in Christ, he enables us to love one another. You must understand that walking in love, whether in a, in a spiritual relationship with your brothers and sisters in church or even in a spousal relationship, requires you to have your part in Christ. You cannot continue to love your husband or your wife every day without the help of God. Many days they will offend you and many days you will offend them. In fact, many, many more days you will offend them. <laughs> Hallelujah. I like what Joel Osteen said in one of the messages I listened to. He said, you know, when we got married, we took a decision that my wife and I, that is his wife and him, Will, they will share decisions. So every major decision was going to be his and every minor decision would be his wife's. He said they've been married now for 30 years and they have never needed to take a major decision once. <laughs> I hope you get that. I laughed. They have never needed to take a major decision once. That simply means she's always decided. <laughs> when he gets to the major one, whichever day that is, maybe after 60 years, <laughs> You know, it is about letting preference prevail. Love is about preferring one another. 
The idea that Christians have today that their, their hotness or response to the things of God or to the place God has called them to serve is dependent on the actions or inactions of others has nothing to do with the love of God. When you love God, you don't see people's action. Believe me, when you love God, of course, we like the camaraderie. We like the atmosphere of being together. But you know what? You don't determine my thermostat. You are not my thermostat. My thermostat is spiritual. You don't set my temperature for God. You don't. So you come, you don't come, you smile, you don't smile. I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me. Of course, I want you to come. That's my assignment. But I want you to understand that I cannot afford to allow people to be my thermostat. People get burnt out because people are their thermostats. Burnout happens when you don't know how to take your part in Christ. People give up on their God-given dreams because they have refused to take their part in Christ. God gives you a dream, then you are looking at man to fulfill it. You keep looking unto the one who gave the dream. So that whether man helps or man does not help, the one who can send you help out of Zion will always be your help in the name of Jesus. Let us take responsibility for the things that God has given us to keep loving, taking our part in Christ. Number two, he enables us to have direct access to the Father. I'm just skipping John chapter 13. I'm going to John chapter 14. He enables us to have direct access to the Father. He enables us to have direct access to the Father. And these scriptures in John chapter 14, Jesus began to speak. He said, you see, in my Father's house are many mansions and I am preparing, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be where I am also and so on and so forth. And of course, Thomas in his typical fashion says, show us the way to this father. I like these things I'm hearing, my paraphrase. You have a good mansions in that place, you are going there, show us the way to go to the father. If you are the one, would you ask the same question? <laughs> of course, you want to go see those mansions. So Jesus now said to him in John chapter 14, of course, verse 6. Jesus said to him, he said, well, let's read together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is the most fundamental scripture that makes Christianity a different religion altogether. Do we hate other people? Do we not believe what others, or do we not uh, believe with others whatever they believe? We believe whatever they believe for them. But what the Bible says concerning us is that we must understand that Jesus himself said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. The father there is capital F. So it's not an earthly father. He's talking about the father of fathers. The king of glory. God almighty himself. So this power, this enablement helps us to have direct access to the father. And this access to the father, Jesus went on to enumerate that it helps us to also have supernatural peace. Even through the Holy Spirit that the father gives. In John chapter 14, if you come down to verse 14, he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it because you have already come to the father by me. If you ask anything according to my name, I will do it. And if you go down to verse 25, please read all these chapters when you have time. John 13, John 14, John 15. It will help you to see the context of this message. Now in John 14, Verse 14, he said, if you ask anything, now verse 25 says, go back to verse 25, sorry. Verse 25 says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Verse 26, verse 26, he said, but the helper, some translation says, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the father will send in my name. Now he has been sent. He was saying this just before he left them. He said, whom the father will send in my name, he will do what? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Say with me. Put your right hand on your forehead. Say, Holy Spirit, continue to help me to bring to my remembrance everything God has said concerning me in his word. Amen. You know the power of this? Every time you face a situation, the Holy Spirit tells you, this is the comfort. Every situation I've seen in life, I have found that there is always a reference of scripture that addresses it. Every crossroad you reach in life, you will find that you just need to tune to the Holy Spirit. Then he reminds you. He will tell you it's the same thing that happened to my son Daniel. It's the same thing that happened to my son Elijah. It's the same thing that Peter suffered, Paul suffered. He will just show you something within an instant that just... Do you know that when you, when you are comforted with a fact that somebody has gone through what you are going through, do you know that you gain strength? Especially when you see that they went through it successfully. You gain strength. We, we, those of us in education, when we stand in front of students, part of what we do is to help them see that if, apart from just teaching them the stuff, we let them see that if we can stand as people who have passed through it and passed those exams, then they have hope also. Because when they look at some things, they look at it like nobody can ever pass this one. And then we say to them that, you know what? We did it. So you can do it too. And so you must understand, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will be teaching you and bringing to your remembrance. Because what the devil does as part of his mission to steal, to kill, and destroy, the first thing he will steal from you is the word of God. He will make you forget the word of God. In the moment of darkness, in the moment of challenge, he will first blank you out of the word of God because that is how he can make you vulnerable. The work of the Holy Spirit is to come and remind you and say, don't forget, this is what God said. This is what has been promised concerning you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what he has said concerning you, that in all things, that God will continually be glorified in your life. And then you are finding strength as you hear the Holy Spirit. May he continue to empower you that way. This is what the access to the Father does. It releases the Holy Spirit. So every time we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is sent into work to remind us the promises of the Father. Every time we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is released again and say, remind my son, this is what I've said. Remind my son, this is my promise. The Bible says in verse 26, he said, but the helper, the helper, he's also called the comforter. He said he will help you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. But verse 27 is key. When he teaches you these things, you enjoy God kind of peace. He said, my peace, I do what? I live with you. My peace, I do what? I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Please look at your neighbor for me and say, let not your heart be troubled. Please look at your neighbor. Make sure you are seeing somebody. Say, please, don't let your heart be troubled. Say, don't let your heart be afraid. Friends, we are living in perilous times indeed. People's hearts are troubled. The Bible says in the last days, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. When we're coming back from Miami, the pilot announced before we left, he said, uh, this was last week, actually, last about a week ago, the pilot said that there's going to be two areas of turbulence 
and that we should not worry that they've looked at it and that, you know, if you fly a lot and you hear that, when you see the first one, at least they've told you before, why are you shouting again? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So after the first one or so, what I thought was the first one, I slept off. Then the second one came. I heard that the plane came down so powerfully that people shouted. I was still sleeping. So my wife asked me, that, did you hear all that? I said, I've slept. <laughs> the man has told you there will be turbulence. Why are you still waking up with him? He's doing his job. <laughs> Hallelujah. The, the heart of man is full of fear in our day and age. All kinds of things. The news. People are studying Brexit. Listening, every statement coming out of Mr. Johnson now is, is fire. <laughs> what is going to happen? What is going to happen? And the man is threatening. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You must learn how to understand that the, as long as you are in this life and subjected to the physical forces of this world, there will be the storms. There will be the winds. There will be those things that will keep trying to threaten your peace. Jesus said he has already left a kind of peace with you. Not the one that the United Nations will promise. Not the type that the parliament will promise. Thank God for them. Not the type that any government can offer you. No, not even NATO. Not the assembly of, of the most powerful nations can ever offer. He said, not the type that they give. They can give a level of peace. He said, but it's not that type. He said, let not your heart be troubled because there is a peace I will give you. That peace is activated every time the Holy Spirit comforts you. You know, when you operate like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, when you operate like this, you become empowered to help others. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Are we got it? Okay, I'll read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and uh, the God of all comfort. Please, open your Bibles if you can't see it on the screen. He said, who comforts us? Because I want you to see something in verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse, chapter 1, verse 4 now. He said, who comforts us in all our tribulations? Thank you. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2, 2. 2 Corinthians, verse 4 now, 1 verse 4. Who comforts us? In all our tribulation. Thank you very much for that. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you understand that? You are in a tribulation and you still have the ability as enabled by God to comfort others. That is the life God wants you to live. Not this one that is always seeing you thrown off by every tribulation that comes your way. There are some things that I pass through that you see me come and preach like this on a Sunday that if I open my mouth to tell you what I had been through in the week, you'll be shocked. You say, and you are still preaching like that. Because I learned that in my own tribulations, there is a comfort. There is a comfort that I can receive from the outer realm. From the one who gives me peace that the world cannot give. The one who gives me peace that money cannot give. He said he comforts me in all my tribulation. And that I may now be able to comfort those who are in trouble. Hallelujah. As ministers of God and as people of God, we must know that this is the key. That will keep us helping those who are in need regardless of our own challenges. When you meet Christians who say, how can I, how can I encourage somebody? Me too, I need encouragement. 
they don't understand. <laughs> you say, I should encourage. How can I encourage? So me too, I'm looking for encouragement. <laughs> you don't understand. You need to be comforted by the one who comforts us in all tribulation. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 5 says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ. We must be a people. Thank you. We must be a people who understand this principle that our access to the Father gives us access to comfort. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort ye my people. Comfort ye, says the Lord. God's comfort has already been given to you. And as you take your part in Christ, and as you have access to the Father, you continue, excuse me, continue to receive of that comfort. You and I will continually, thank you, you and I will continually be comforted of God. I say we will continually be comforted of God. In the name of Jesus. You see, when you live like this on a daily basis, people will think that you don't have any problems. People will think that you don't have any challenge. They will say, that man, when, you say when they talk about him, they say, no, he doesn't have any problem. That's why. <laughs> he doesn't have any problem at all. If you know what I'm going through, you will not say that. <laughs> but when the man tells you his problem, you will say, ah, thank you so much for telling me. <laughs> I don't want what you have. <laughs> Hallelujah. I always say, when you see a man, you, whether he's of any faith whatsoever, Muslim, Christian, Sikh, whatever, no faith, and you see him sat around a dining table. I've said this thing for years. You see him sat down a dining table with three, four children of his. And everybody is sanely sitting down like decent human beings. Doff your heart for that man. He has worked hard. <laughs> he has worked hard. I don't care his faith. Take it from me. He has worked very hard. Because for you to get that scenario where everybody behaves and are behaving decently for many decades, you have worked hard. Not to talk of you who have the comfort of scripture. You who have the grace of God. You who have all that God says he will supply. May God continue to help you to overcome every tribulation. Through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. The third thing is that he enables us to abide in the vine. This is John chapter 15. For those of you listening to this by uh, podcast or video. We read John chapter 15 verse 1 to 17 in our scripture reading. But I'm just making some emphasis from that scripture. We are reading John 13, 14, and 15 for the message. But we had read John 15, 1 to 17. You can read that specifically also. It will help you. Verse 1 says, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Some translation says my father is the gardener. Some translation says my, my father is the husbandman. That is to say he owns the vine garden. But you and I, are connected to the true vine. Look at verse 4. He said, abide in me and I in you as the branch which you and I are cannot bear fruit. The branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you do what? You abide in me. You and I must understand that the place of abiding in God Abiding in Christ is non-negotiable. We always sing those days. We sing the people from my generation who know this song. I found a new way of living. I have a new life divine. I have the fruit of the spirit. I'm abiding, abiding in the vine. We sing it and enjoy it. Abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine. Love, joy, health, peace. He has made the mine. Oh, I have prosperity, power, and victory. Abiding, abiding in the vine. It is called consistent reliance refusing to detach 
continual dependence. The word abide means living there perpetually. You heard the emphasis last week from Pastor Moses when he talked about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High continuously, regardless of what you see. Forgetting the lure and the temptation to just want to do it another way. The temptation to give up. The ability to abide in the vine is lacking in our generation. We need to understand that consistency is a virtue that we must keep pressing into. When people are tired, like I said earlier on, and are on steam at a point, tired at a point, they are not abiding. They are not taking their part in Christ. They are not allowing themselves to enjoy the fullness of abiding in the vine so that they can truly be fruitful and joyful. You and I must understand. He said, I am the vine, verse 5. He said, I am the vine. He said, I am the vine and you are what? The branches. He who abides in me and I in him does what? Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Why do you try to do it without him? Because you've learned how to do it last week? Who told you that the success of last week and the method of last week will work this week? You need to know how to abide. You need, especially those of you who again talk about marital relationships. You need to know how to abide in the vine. The journey of marriage is a journey of learning. And it takes the Holy Spirit to be teaching you because both of you are experiencing days you have never experienced before. Years you have never experienced before. Just a few weeks ago, there was nobody 50 years old in my family. Yes? But now we have one person. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago. So we are all learning now what, what that means. I don't say it means anything like that. Don't, don't, don't get confused. <laughs> but we are all learning. We keep learning and keep learning. The children that are 10 years old now, in 10 years time, they're not going to be 10. They're going to be 20. You have like a new set of human beings. You would think they are the same baby you carry like that. I say, baby, baby. No, they're not that baby anymore. They're changed. It is him that helps you to know how to do all things. He said, without me, you can do no thing. In your work, in your ministry, in your life, you must know how to keep abiding so that you let Jesus teach you how to do all things. And may he continue to teach you to be fruitful in Jesus' name. When we talk about fruitfulness here, we're talking about productivity, spiritual productivity, and also physical fruitfulness and productivity. Having results for the things that you are doing, having results for your life, Having the ability to have something to show that glorifies God in all you do. First Peter chapter 4 verse 11. He said, if anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. As the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Whatever your ministry, whatever your assignment, do it with the ability which God supplies. You stay in the vine, you pray, you press into the things of the vine and consistently God shows you how. The Bible says you will now be hearing a voice behind you every time saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is how to go, walk in it. You continue to abide in the vine and the Bible says that in all things such times, God will now be glorified through Jesus Christ. I say in your life, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. The Bible says to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. It shall be so in your life. In the name of Jesus. We need the ability to be tenacious. About 10 days ago, I was in Greeley, Colorado, which 
Many of you have heard my story many times. A town which I lived for just about three years, for under three years, but God used to define my life as a 10, 9, 10, 11 year old. Redefine my life completely. Because before that time, I was growing up, many things I didn't know. I was growing up, not in so much of affluence, but in okay, we were okay. Uh, and uh, I was the last child, and life was really just very good. And every day I woke up, I just thought, like, this life is sweet, you know. You have everything going for you. And uh, I was in a very good school, lovely teachers. Everything was going okay until suddenly I was plucked up and taken to this town where my father was going to do his PhD. And then life changed <laughs> drastically. I found myself the only black child in a school of about 300, and everything about life just changed in 24 hours. I saw myself as somebody that people did not want to come to. People trying to touch my hair to wonder whether it was real hair and all sorts of things. People not sitting next to me on the school bus and so on and so forth. You've heard this story many times. And I said to my father, I no longer want to go to this school. I can't cope. My father said, I don't have a choice for you. Do you want to go back to Nigeria? I said, no, I don't want to go. He said, then you better go to school. <laughs> you better go to school. So I roughed it up, but I didn't know that that season of my life was going to redefine everything as to how I saw life and how to handle myself in a place where I was, in quote, alone. Learned it as a 10-year-old. So by the time I was 15, and now living back in Nigeria, I was 15, and I was now having some challenges, 15, 16, having some challenges with my own elder brother on the campus. I found myself alone, but it was not any impact on me. I want you to know that there is something that God will do to bring the glory that he has destined for you in your life. Don't refuse the training today. The things you are going through today are not meant to kill you. They are meant to build you. I said they are meant to build you. And building, they surely will build. In the name of Jesus. When I saw the reverend who baptized me just about 10 days ago, it took him a long time because he's now in his 90s. It took him a long time to remember the details. And I had to bring the names of everyone I remembered in the church at that time. And then my friend Frank, who was with me, now started to call some couples. And everything just came back to him. And he almost jumped out of his chair. He said, David, is that you? Because he mentored me and he took me as a 10-year-old in a time when most people would not want to have that kind of relationship because of the racial differences. He took me and mentored me. And God today helped me 40 years later to go back to him to say thank you. And I'm truly grateful for such privilege. Friends, there are certain things you are going through today that you will still talk about. Jesus starting to come in 10 years time, 20 years time, 30 years time. Everything will become history, but you must know the place of consistency. The Lord will keep you abiding in the vine. In the name of Jesus. We must be mindful of our source always. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. He is able. Somebody say God is able. According to his power that is at work in me. So the ability of God is expressed through me because there is his power that is at work in me. This is how we experience true joy. Go back to John 15 verse 9. He said, as my father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. 
May your joy be full. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. When you are abiding in Christ, your joy is constant. Your joy is not circumstantial. Your joy is not dependent on what is happening around you. I've told you this many times. You look like a person who nothing bad is happening around them. Because you are connected to a source that is beyond what is happening naturally around you. May God continue to help you to experience that joy. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. God will continue to give you the fullness of joy. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In Romans chapter 16 verse 25, he said, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. May God who is able to establish you, establish you indeed. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. may every attempt of the enemy to dissuade you and make you tired, may such attempts of the wicked one be frustrated in the name of Jesus. The Bible says he is able to establish you and he will surely establish you in the name of Jesus. Finally, I just want to remind us that we must not waver. We must not waver at the promises of God concerning our lives. The promises of God will come to pass. Amen. I said they will come to pass. Amen. The Bible says that even though it is tarrying, wait for it. There is an appointed time that God has ordained for everything. Many times it is not according to our own chronos calendar. It is not according to our own timing of life. But God knows the appropriate time. When that time comes, it becomes undeniable for you. And it shall come your way in the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 4 verse 17, the Bible says that for God, Abraham knew that God had a God that couldn't, he, he knew that he had a God that couldn't the dead and cause those things that be not as though they were. So he did not waver, verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was what? Strengthened in faith. Doing what? Giving glory to God. How many people can keep giving glory to God regardless of what they are seeing? How many people can truly keep giving glory to God regardless of how they feel? Verse 21, the Bible says, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he is also able to perform. I decree that in your life, God will continue to keep you in a place of conviction that what God has promised he is able to perform in the name of Jesus. This is the secret of men that make it in this kingdom. I have told you many times, a time is coming when if you don't get here by 9.30, you will be struggling and you will be calling me and say, Pastor, where can I park again? And as a Christ happens to try building in the name of Jesus. Because he who has promised is able to perform. And he will surely perform that which he has said in the name of Jesus. You need to know how to stand or not at the promises of God. There is something new that God wants to do in your life. It is in the horizon. Staring you in the face in the horizon, it takes tenacity of purpose, focus of vision, and not staggering at the promises of God to attain it. As many that maintain this single-eyedness focus on God, they will surely take the lead. In the name of Jesus, rise to your feet and let us begin to attain.